we always have gone back to like what our value system is. And if we had a shop and we were selecting a roaster, what would we want from that roaster is always what we go back to. And the service aspect along with product are very equal. They're going to be talking about your tasting. They're going to be spreading the word for you. They're going to be marketing your brand for you, especially if they have a unique experience that they've never had before. And then that's going to actually build that trust in your brand. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Fifth Wave. For many ambitious baristas, going solo, setting up a roastery and roasting their own delicious coffee can be the ultimate dream. But how do you go from dream to reality? What are the key steps and decisions you need to make before embarking upon this daunting yet exciting journey? And once the roastery is set up, how do you ensure it's a business success? We'll be tackling these questions in a brand new series as we explore all aspects of the business of coffee roasting from sourcing equipment and green coffee to building a brand and establishing wholesale partnerships. In this first episode, we focus on the basics of setting up a roastery. That is finding the right location, knowing when to upgrade facilities as you grow and defining your vision and goals for the roastery. We'll later speak with Lem Butler, co-founder of Black and White Coffee Roasters in North Carolina. But first, we chat with Kirby Sinclair, co-founder of The Roasting Party in the UK. Founded in 2013, The Roasting Party is an Aussie-inspired specialty coffee business with three coffee shops in London, a roastery with a training center, and a coffee equipment program. Could you just walk us back through when you set up Roasting Party and what was the first machine that you bought and uh, where are you now? I think not many people know we have a bit of a sister roastery in Australia uh, with the little marionette. And so I think like early doors, we, we probably had a little bit of a step up, kind of made mistakes there and then had someone to bounce off when, when I first started here, you know, with Ed Cutcliffe. So it made it a little bit easier about like choices of equipment, you know, how big and et cetera. But we started small because we, we started with not very much cash, right? So um, I think you need to get a, a good amount and then probably spend all of that amount um, on getting the best equipment possible, you know, whether that's secondhand or first. Um, but I also don't believe in like taking huge investment and, and just getting everything brand new and almost given to you. Like part of the great thing, I think, for the racing party is that the fight along the way has kind of helped us to, you know, understand who we are and who we want to be. Yeah. Um, but we started with a very small warehouse, 100 square meters, and got our 12 kilo probat. And we purposely have gone for old refurbished equipment throughout our whole 10 years, actually, because we believe in like cast iron uh, roasting um, and the retention heat, et cetera, that goes into that. Um, and so we were able to start with one kilo uh, probatone uh, uh, sample roaster. And then, uh, yeah, an, an L12 roaster. How long was it from having that 100 square meter site with a 12K roaster until you had to upgrade? Uh, a year too, too long, probably. But, you know, so we moved, 
year four right. to then three and a half thousand uh, square feet, so yeah. 350. So we tripled the, the capacity, yeah. And how big, did you go to a bigger roaster by that time, of course? Yeah, so then we went to a, a, a UG22. Yeah, so we doubled the size of the roaster as well. Um, I think that was mostly a, like a capital issue. Yeah. Um, I think in hindsight, probably would have gone slightly bigger. Yeah. Because um, it didn't decrease the amount of time we were roasting. We were still roasting every day. Mm-hmm. And, and is that where you are today with a 22K roaster? No, we're now with a, it's a 60 kilo roaster, but it actually it's got a 120 drum in it. So we can do a one bag roaster. So if I was to scale up again, I'd go to then a two bag, knowing the time efficiencies that bring that. Yeah. Um, but I also think a one bag roaster is about the max. That second roaster of 22 kilograms, how much output were you able to get out of that before you decided to, you had to take the plunge to go bigger to 60 kg? We probably only got to like 70% capacity with that. We got to about 1.8 ton a week. But again, it was, it was a similar situation. It was like four or five days a week roasting Yeah, for that. And we just needed our staff to be deployed in other areas. So we went to a much bigger roaster and now we're between, you know, two and a half and three ton a week uh, roasted. But we do that in two and a half days now. So when, when do you really know that you have to go bigger? <laughs> when, when, what's that moment? When we've all lost our hair and yeah. Uh, look, I mean, it was like, are we servicing our customers? I mean, I think that we always have gone back to like what our value system is and, and what would we want to be? If we had a shop and we were selecting a roaster, what would we want from that roaster is always what we go back to. And the service aspect along with product are very equal. You know, one doesn't, shouldn't be more important than the other. And we really felt that like we wanted to actually push on the service, you know, the accountability from that side, how much we are, are we at our customers, you know. And today we've been able to keep that concept since day one, you know, we're there weekly. And so if you were sort of advising a young barista that wanted to take the plunge, what, what are the kind of critical steps that you would sort of advise those people to get started? I think definitely find your own identity. Yeah. I know it starts with the name, but you know, really think about the name that you have for your company. And then also then what identity, what are you going to do? Are you going to do super really light roaster coffee for filter? Or are you an espresso based person? You know, what are your views and really get like a strong in-depth feel and learn to like really love your product first you know, and believe that it's the best. Like, what, what do you want to do? What is that, like, that driver? What, how do you want your coffee to be? Yeah. And because that, that passion then will, will exuberate to your, like, you know, wholesale customers and then or your own shops. And then green coffee, uh, really important yeah. part. So how to, you know, this young barista that's just given up his job in the cafe, setting up a roastery, how's he or she, are they going to get that, get that coffee? For that roastery yeah fortunately like actually the trading market are full of people who are passionate about coffee as well so you know the conversations you're going to have with them are, are really great and go around all of them you know build your relationships that that is the really 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 important you know strong solid coffee supply relationships um but meet them all yeah go to loads of cuppings find out what they're best at and then how that's going to fit into your like program. 
And it's not always about buying the most expensive or the most tastiest coffee as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what you feel you can do with it. Just like what you can do with like an underripe tomato when you're cooking with it. You know, what do you need to add to it? Yeah. What's your style? Yeah. Is that style for you? And then you'll gravitate to a couple. Um, I, I'm not sure putting all your eggs in one basket with one trader mm-hmm. is also a good move, but sometimes inevitable because of the way you just you, you need to operate. Yeah. And I guess it's a difficult decision of how much coffee to buy in the beginning. I guess, again, it depends on whether you've got ready-made customers or whether yeah. you're, you're actually just going to buy coffee to show your first set of customers. What would you recommend there? There will be an element of that. You you have some kind of burn rate of, of your capital. Mm. Yeah. Giving away coffee, getting yourself out there in the market. But I do think you need to have a blend and you need to have a sing, some kind of single origin program. That is really important. Um, I don't think you can just sort of survive on a single origin program. Yeah. And, and what, what have you learned along the way? Have you, any mistakes that you may have made that you wish you, you would have um, understood right at the beginning of the process? Maybe that 22 was a mistake. Maybe we should have gone bigger mm-hmm. at that stage, but obviously yeah. money dictated that. Mm-hmm. Um, different bits of equipment. Would I have started our engineering kind of program earlier? Probably. But yeah, so we now have like a service department, um, but mainly from a preventative maintenance uh, side. So because most of what we do is hand deliveries, so we can swap machines in and out, et cetera, um, bring them back to base and work on the preventative side of things, uh, which is ultimately you know, a really good thing for our customers. Um, but we then use re- reactive engineers out on the road who are out there. Uh, and, and so you have a balance of both. Okay, so I'm hearing from you um, providing that coffee machine or working um, with the coffee machine absolutely critical to a, to a roastery. I, I, I mean, I... I Realize that there are, uh, you know, quite a lot of uh, roasters that have partnerships with, with espresso machines. So, so that servicing is, yeah. is really critical to your business as well. Yeah, a, a huge part of what we do. Yeah, from you know, changing water filters, even just as that a small thing. Now, every coffee roaster is going to do that because it's, it's you know it's a fundamental thing. Yeah. Um, but having spare equipment to be able to like take equipment in and out you know, I think is also really critical. Um, but preventative maintenance is kind of where we have really uh, concentrated on rather than kind of having reactive engineers yeah. just out there potentially hoping for problems. You know, we're, we actually want to go the other way. We want there to be no problems because the preventative maintenance program is really good. Yeah, I guess a lot of people out there may know this, but there may be some that, um, you know, really just probably think that's the, that's the job of the coffee equipment company, really, or the specialist um, maintenance company as opposed to the roaster. Why do you think it's so important yeah. for the roaster? I think, well, it's a partnership, isn't it? Mm. Your wholesale. You only just look at them as like dropping coffee off. I mean, we, we certainly don't. Um, we look at it as, you know, we've invested in the knowledge to be able to help you worry about your shop. And so... That's why I see it really important, you know, and we just don't want people to have downtime and then also downtime on a weekend when they're super busy. That, that, that would almost be um, f- forgivable, really, you know, yeah. having a machine that's not making money um, yeah. is a real problem. Um, I think this is what like small, you know, three to 
seven, eight, ten store chains potentially get wrong. I think they feel like when they open a roastery that it, maybe they'd make that decision to start roasting for themselves uh, because of a cost benefit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's all the little things outside. It's the, then the training. It's then the service engineering work. It's your link to your equipment suppliers. It's all of those other things that you're building as a roastery because you have a critical mass, because you have it across a, a whole bunch of other people, not just like five to 10 stores, right? Yeah. Um, you have it across hundreds of customers. So I think that's where maybe people don't see all of that other stuff that happens behind the scenes that roasteries provide for for shops. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but presumably that requires quite a bit of capital expenditure and infrastructure in place to be able it, to provide yeah, that Yeah, and service. time. Yeah. Yeah, and time taken away from the things that you do good, right? Like there's a reason you probably have five to 10 stores, you're doing something right. Mm -hmm. So if you're not concentrating that and then going to something that you're probably not very skilled at, mm -hmm. yeah, then it just puts you behind in the things that you were good, right? Final question here. Do you see yourself, your roastery getting bigger? Is there a moment where... Um, you're going to have to go bigger again. And if you, if you could, what would be the dream scenario? Uh, I don't know, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest pitfall is obviously cash yeah. uh, and, and cash flow. Like, yeah. you know, we are now at a stage where it makes a difference. Um, so I, I think maybe rounding off a few things, I, I would like online to get bigger for us. Okay. Yeah. I think actually, we, you know, because we're so close to our wholesale um, customers, could you repli keep replicating that bigger? I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. There, there must be a disconnect at some stage. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe we're not there now. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm always very wary of that. That's always the, the question we go, how much bigger without losing that connection can we get? Our customers need to be family. Yeah. yeah. And it's really important. I want to keep that aspect as long, you know, same with the staff. Yeah. I, I, I would hate to get to a stage where that is lost. Yeah. So... How big that can get, Jeff, is probably where I want to get to. Thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thanks, Jeff. See you later. It was incredible to hear how much focus Curvy puts on the engineering program and coffee machine partnerships. He defines the roasting party not just as a coffee supplier, but as a holistic partner for all their clients investing in and sharing knowledge to help their clients optimize performance. Now let's speak with legendary Lem Butler, co-founder of Black and White Coffee Roasters in North Carolina, USA. Lem set up Black and White Roasters in 2017 with his business partner Kyle Ramage after the two struck up a kinship while training for the US and World Barista Championships. In addition to the now 13,000 square foot roastery which ships specialty coffee across the United States and abroad, Black and White also runs three community cafe spaces and a tasting room. Welcome, Lem. Thanks a lot for having me. I wonder if you could walk us through the process as if you were setting up a roastery from scratch today. What are some of the key decisions you need to make and what advice would you offer? There's a lot of factors that will, will influence decisions. Um, money is a big one. If money was not an issue, I would um, go bigger than you would think you would need. Um, so if you say, I just need a seven kilo roaster, um, double that because 
your goal is to grow and you don't want to end up in a, a spot where you're maxed out on that roaster. I would also look at, you know, your, your market. What, what kind of market are you trying to get into? Um, you know, when we started, we had this ambition of really doing well in wholesale. But at the time, there was a large push for the multi-roaster platform. And for us, that wasn't very sustainable because, you know, you have these roasters across the country that would purchase our coffee for, you know, three or four months, and then they would rotate us off. So it was really hard to predict uh, how much coffee to purchase, how much green coffee to purchase for that. What are the essential pieces of equipment and other things that you have to get in place before you can start to trade that roastery? A simple base would be a roaster, a weigh-in fill, and some sort of uh, sealer, and a pretty good relationship with a, a bag company. Um, because what we found was as we roasted more coffee, um, our bottleneck was at the packaging. And, you know, I was weighing out coffee uh, with a scoop and a scale into a bucket uh, and then pouring that into a bag. And it was just time consuming and even more time consuming the more coffee we, we roasted. Um, so our deadline, I mean, what we want wanted to do and what we do now is to uh, roast to order. So if your order comes in before we get there, um, 6 or 7 a.m., um, then it'll be roasted, packaged, and shipped that day. And that means we have a deadline of 5 p.m. to get to the post office to get everything shipped out. And the more orders that come in, the Loring is well capable of roasting everything, but um, the bottleneck was the packaging. So we had to add a weigh-in fill um, to make things faster. And a solid sealer, we went through probably five different sealers um, to find the one that works best with, for us, um, that's fast. And that solved the problem for a while. And then when we added that 70 kilo roaster, uh, then the bottleneck again was packaging. And so we had to add a separate production line, which is another way to feel another sealer. I, I would have thought the tasting room is pretty important for someone that's mildly ambitious and wants to build community. I, I highly recommend not ignoring those consumers that just want a decent cup of coffee. You know, they're not going to be exploring anaerobics or, you know, co-fermentations. They're going to be looking for that solid, medium or dark roast Colombian coffee or Central American coffee. And, you know, the majority of the drinks that go out of our door in our cafes are lattes, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah or cappuccinos, they're milk-based drinks. So if you have coffees that you're interested in and you want the public to get interested in, the best way to do that is have a free tasting. Um, start building that rapport with customers and that don't necessarily wanna venture out from that um, dark roast coffee. The best way to do that is to Give them something free. Give them an experience mm. that's for free. Mm. And the best way to do that is to have that tasting room mm. um, and invite them into your brand. Uh, you're bringing them in and you're giving them something free, but you're getting something huge out of it. They're going to be talking about your tasting. Yeah. 
They're going to be spreading the word for you. They're going to be marketing your brand for you, especially if they have a unique experience that they've never had before. And then that's going to actually build that trust in your brand. So whatever you roast and you put out there, they will be interested Mm. in trying it. And in terms of the actual location of your roastery, let's say it's just a roastery. Is there any kind of uh, types of locations that you think are better for a roastery than than not? Purely a roastery, it could be anywhere. Yeah. yeah. I think the further away from the city, um, you know, you're going to get a better deal on a lease uh, per square foot. Um, And, you know, starting out, that would be very helpful. But, and, and I wouldn't worry about, you know, uh, people not finding you if you have an event. I mean, coffee drinkers, uh, they will find free coffee. <laughs> so if you're 30, 40 minutes outside of the metropolis, you know, I don't think that'll be an issue with um, folks finding you when you have an open event yeah. for people to come in and see the roastery. You know, 20 years in coffee, I still find people who have been drinking coffee all their life and do not understand that coffee comes from the seed of a fruit. Yeah, um, They literally think it's a bean. They don't understand how roasting works, how coffee uh, farming works. And it's a great opportunity to fill that gap um, as, as a roaster. So being really hard now, kind of like... Um three things that you must get right to make a successful roastery? Your relationships. Uh, you, you have to build relationships and continue to uh, build them. I mean, not just the, the coffee producers and your importers that you work with, your exporters that you work with, but your your staff is uh, is very important. They are the lifeblood of your business. Um, we roast... 10-hour shifts, four days a week. So they get the middle of the week off uh, Wednesday and they get the weekend off. Um, and we wanted to create this work-life balance for for the staff, for both roasting and production. Um, it's very tedious. It's very hard work. Um, and creating that balance for them uh, makes them want to be a part of, of something. Yeah. And... I think that's that's one thing you have to get right, yep. relationships. Yep. Um, and the other thing I think you have to get right is uh, the, the coffee quality. Um, you know, QC is, is super important. Um, understanding what your profile is and maintaining that. Um, what coffees are you sourcing? If you, if you have multiple blends, um, what coffees are you sourcing? How are you sourcing? to uh, maintain that flavor profile. Um, what does your QC look like? Um, are you quality controlling samples? Are you quality controlling when a coffee arrives? Are you quality controlling the entire time you have that coffee in your warehouse? Um, and you know you have to be ethical about how you source coffee because you know all the farmers that I've met over my time in coffee, a lot of them have no idea where the coffee goes and what happens to that coffee. Um, they grow it, they produce it, they ship it, and then they start all over again uh, with no knowledge of what's happening out there. 
And um, this is beautiful to see uh, this relationship between this roaster and this producer um, cultivate over years and produce something that's amazing. So I think there's a responsibility and that's something that shouldn't be taken advantage of, those relationships uh, in the industry. And what else? Um, and what else? Final must get right? Um, I'll always be open um, to the market. Uh, it, it changes. It evolves. Uh, evolve with it. You know, I think a lot of roasters, I mean, a lot of businesses in general, cafes, they get stuck at in doing one thing their way all the time. And the industry is evolving. Um, I don't think you have to to shift your your ideals and and your your values, but um, I think your mission or your vision should should adjust with with the industry. Um, don't be so close minded in some of the new innovation that comes out in the industry. I, I feel that you you'll get left behind, um, and then you'll be at a point you know in your journey like, oh, what happened? What have I done wrong? What do I need to do now to catch up? So just be open-minded. You don't have to pivot every time a new thing comes along, but just be open-minded to it and not be as critical as I've seen some businesses, not just even coffee. You know, I've seen other businesses be very critical of, of new things that come along in their industry. And, and, I, and I don't want to see that for the coffee industry. Yeah. And anything that you wish you would have learned? Um, is there any anything that you wish you and your team would have um, maybe understood before now to not made a mistake or anything you would have done uh, I differently? Think the, yeah, I, I think I don't have any regrets. Um, everything is a, a learning process, All the, especially failures. You know, failures are looked at in a negative light, but I think they're an opportunity to, to learn. Um, but if anything, I would say better communication, clear communication, um, will help things run really smoothly, uh, down the road. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things. And, and, and what, for example, in, in the context of a, of a roastery, what kind of types of communication would you actually have to nail? Uh, clear communication with your leadership team, with your staff, uh, making sure, you know, Everyone is on the same page with the vision. That that vision, mission, and values has to be communicated down from owner to barista. Thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you so much for having me, man. Always great to talk to you. Lim echoes Kirby's thoughts on the importance of building genuine business relationships, both with green copy suppliers and wholesale partners. And all this is underpinned by having a clear mission statement and great communication to make sure everyone in the business understands your values and vision. Join us next time as we deep dive into the equipment side of kitting out a roastery and explore how technology and potentially how AI could be used to improve roasting performance. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or give us a five-star rating. And to stay informed, visit worldcoffeebottle.com to access all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter sharing the breaking news stories of the week. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. 
And this week's song in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project is Bad As You Are by Alicia Davis. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate and stay caffeinated. you are.